Where the Hell is Dave? Written by B is Back. Hey, Margaret, where the hell is Dave? The question caught her off guard. Now that you mention it, she said after a moment of intense thought. I don't know. Where the hell is Dave? They looked at each other for a moment. When was the last time we even seen Dave? Nathan said. Was it at the baby shower? He was there, but I feel like we saw him after that too, Margaret said. I feel like I haven't spoken to him in weeks. Where the hell is Dave? She started rifling through their couch, looking under every pillow and cushion alike. I don't think he's in our couch, Margie. No, Nathaniel, I'm looking for my phone, Margaret said, right as she grabbed it from underneath pillow number seven. I'm calling Susan. Hey, Margie, what's up? Have you seen Dave recently? Nate and I can't- What do you mean you haven't seen Dave? Where the hell is Dave? That's what I'm asking, Margaret shouted and hung up. She sighed. (sighs) Susan hasn't seen him either. This is all so strange. Where the hell is he? Nate said, sitting down next to his wife. I'm going to the bathroom, Margaret said, suddenly standing up. She exited the lounge, and she walked down the east hallway, the long one to the right of the main staircase. She stopped, staring at the two identical doors on either side, unable to remember which one the bathroom was. She picked the right door. Dave, there you are, Margaret exclaimed walking towards the sides of the bassinet. I was worried for a moment. She took the baby from the bassinet, slightly swollen from the putrefaction process, cradling Dave's tiny body against her chest. You've certainly made a mess, haven't you? She said, looking down at the small crib mattress, encrusted with the foul liquid that little Dave produced. She started to undo her bra strap, but realized quickly that no milk would come. I'll whip you up some formula then. I'll be right back, she said, placing Dave back into his fabric coffin and leaving the room. What was I doing again? She thought as she rifled through the kitchen cabinet. I can't remember. She slowly replaced the things she'd taken from the cabinet. Celery salt. Dried oregano. Her bottle of chlorpromazine. And the salt shaker. I'll just turn in for the night. I'll probably remember in the morning. Making her way up to the bedroom, she tucked herself into bed, flicked off the lamp, and wished Nate was somehow already there, asleep. Good night. It was only later, after another few weeks, that she turned to her husband 
and asked him a question. Where the hell is Dave? I'm sick of the night shift. Written by Brugalug. I worked a night shift at the Fernbrook Retirement Home. If our residents are going to die, they generally do it on the night shift. Room 273, Cynthia said listlessly as she shuffled past the orderly's desk. I'll get her. You feeling all right? The usually chipper nurse didn't reply. These infernal night shifts must be catching up with her, was my first thought. Either that or it's just Miss Pratchett. Room 273's resident, Miss Francine Pratchett, was not what one would label a bundle of joy. Although the home's administration appreciated Miss Pratchett's seemingly inexhaustible supply of funding, neither myself nor the nurses had taken kindly to her sharp tongue and endless criticism. Miss Pratchett and Cynthia were like oil and water, gasoline and fire. There were several times when I'd hear Cynthia muttering how she'd like to take a pillow to the old coot, but she never did. When Miss Pratchett slipped into a coma over a week ago, I figured that was the end of it. Time had finally run out for grumpy Miss Pratchett. Another one bites the dust, I thought, relieved. And as I readied the gurney to remove Miss Pratchett's recently deceased corpse, something niggled at the back of my brain. It took a few moments to figure it out, but I eventually hit on it. Why hadn't I gotten a visit from Miss Pratchett herself? Usually it would go something like this. I'd be doing some errands around the place and minding my own business. When I'd glance up and see one of the patients standing in my vicinity, looking somewhat healthier and more alive than they had since checking in. They would occasionally have some polite words for me, but most just reminded me of their room number. Then I'd blink and they'd be gone, off to the afterlife, I supposed. Then, as heart monitor alarms blared, I'd grab my gurney and arrive at the room even before the nurses had summoned me. But this time, there was no Miss Pratchett. I was actually somewhat disappointed, all things considered. That night, as I willed the gurney through the silent hallway and into Mrs. Pratchett's room, I discovered the old woman as she had been all week, face up and expressionless, sightless eyes staring at the ceiling while the heart monitor registered her faint, vital signs. Maybe Cynthia had been wrong, I began to think.
Then I saw something that made me stop in my tracks. Miss Pratchett's hand, which had been so limp and flaccid for the past week, was now balled into a clenched fist, tightly gripping a cord. The heart monitor's electrical cord. My eyes followed the cord over the far side of the bed. There, it landed on a pair of white orthopedic nurse's shoes, toes up. Suddenly feeling an intense sickness and dread, I cautiously rounded the end of Miss Pratchett's bed. The cord had been wrapped three times around Cynthia's neck. Her eyes bulged from her sockets, lips a shade of the deepest blue. Cat and Marie, written by One Thousand and One Nights. Cat prowled restlessly behind the door of the bedroom where Marie was being strangled. Cat knew something terrible was happening, and this would interfere with his food. He was really hungry. He yowled. Not loudly, though, because sometimes when he yelled loudly, the man would come out and try to kick him away. But Cat was too fast for him, though. But not poor Marie, who was fighting, drawing her last gasps of breath. She heard Cat's yell through the rising tide of obliterating pain and reassured herself that Cat would survive even if she hadn't. Cat heard the gasps and the shuffling of her feet as she struggled. He wanted to open the door. Putting aside his dislike of the man, he began scuffling and scratching at the door, his wells getting louder. But the door remained shut. Annoyed, Cat went out into the backyard, and with the agility his species is famed for, he jumped up the tree whose branches brought him close to the bedroom window. He needed to know what was going on and why Marie wasn't feeding him, and he did not like what he was seeing. The movement of Marie's feet was very slow now, and her gasp barely audible. The window was ajar. A crow called right behind Cat. Cat and Crow had had friendly tussles over scraps of food, but their interests were broadly aligned. Crow hopped closer, and Cat did not swip out a restless paw at him as he otherwise would have. The animal still hesitated. Crow called very loudly, right at the window, and the man jerked his head up. His fierce focus momentarily shattered. And seeing his face, Cat decided and leaped into the bedroom, 
followed by crow, and another crow, and another. Crow streamed into the bedroom, blackening the space with their feathers. Emboldened by the crows, Cat did what he longed to do since the man had walked into their lives and jumped straight for his face, his claws out. Screaming, the man let Marie drop to the bedroom floor and groped in the crow darkness towards the door, Cat hanging on to his face. The man fled the house, followed by the crows, and Cat dropped off, gave himself a slight shake, and went back to the bedroom to see if Marie could get up and feed him now.